This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to The World According to Wikipedia, the podcast that explores the weird, wonderful and baffling world of Wikipedia, the people who write it and what makes them tick. With me, Fanula. And me, Rebecca. In this episode, we will talk to Raju Narasetti, a journalist and member of the Wikimedia Board of Trustees. the Wikimedia Foundation has a board of trustees. I kind of generally assume everything has a board of trustees these days. I don't know why. It just seems to be required. Interesting. You might be part of a minority of people aware of such intricacies, though. I mentioned this as our interviewee this episode. Raju is one such trustee. And at the moment, elections are going on for new Wikimedia community appointed trustees. Mm -hmm. And what is involved in getting elected? Like, can I run to be a member of the board of trustees i mean by impeccable skills you probably wouldn't quite meet now like raju raju is uh you know an appointee Mm -hmm. to the board in that he's he's invited so these are three seats that are um from the community so they're designated that they are elected from the community so these ones i suppose operate slightly differently um to his position but um like all things wiki you put yourself forward for election uh, for the three these three community seats and you answer questions posed by the community as well as filling out a candidacy candidacy form and other obligatory reporting to make sure that you know you are an upstanding citizen okay. and, you yeah. know eligible to to sit on on such a high board and then anyone with a registered wikimedia account in good standing so that you haven't been blocked or anything like that. Okay. And you've yeah. been active so that you didn't create the account yesterday um, mm-hmm. means you can vote in this election. Okay. And I'm assuming there is much discussion and poring over history and scrutinising of each of the candidates. Yes. Although in a different tone to the admin elections that we've talked about previously. So many Wikipedians, not Wikimedians, okay. but those, you know, not just those who, who I suppose, edit Wikipedia and have no interaction with the movement and its structures and governance. Most of these people, they don't really pay much attention to these elections and may not even know that it's going on at all. So it's more people who are engaged with the movement in that sense. So just like some discussion pages I've talked about where certain people are drawn and flourish and get really engaged, this is another facet that perhaps, you know, it's a relatively, it's 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 a niche within a niche in some ways it's a relatively small portion of those who would edit wikipedia in an active way would perhaps pay an awful lot of attention to the selection process that's not to say that it's not really important it's still quite a number of people engaged in it but when you're thinking about the kind of people who perhaps sit down and edit wikipedia this is can be a little bit of a remove from from okay so these are these are the wikimedia like these are the wikimedians wikimedian who would be looking at this particular thing they've got and they know what skills they're looking for to fill a role yeah. and they've probably been involved in a lot of them would have been involved in let's say governance of a local group like a local chapter that kind of mm-hmm. thing they might have founded um you know a user group or a wiki project or something like that they tend to be known quantities within okay those 
kind of organizing or visible level of Wikimedians broadly. And for this position, it's more about competency for mm-hmm. a powerful position as opposed to how good a Wikipedian you are or how competent necessarily you are at being an admin, you know, giving that set of skills. This is, you know, a different, it's a different skill set, mm-hmm. basically. And there are other issues that come up in this around diversity. So, you know, not only whether you're male or female, um, that kind of thing, but also where in the world you're coming from and what kind of groups you've been involved in. A lot of people can consider that kind of thing. Um, okay. Your experience and understanding of the various Wikimedia communities. So that you're not, you know, just quote unquote coming from English language Wikipedia, that you have some awareness of the issues for other Wikipedians around the world. And you also state your priorities for the three years that you're going to hold the office. Very good. I suppose in some ways it's a kind of like it's kind of like being really involved in the student union. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh dear. Um, you have to really care about things to be that level of politics yeah like there's the people who will turn up to like you know a student union event and might you know mc something or have 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 a bit of crack have a bit of fun do that kind of level of stuff but it's a different kind of person that's going to like put themselves forward for sitting campaign on a bunch of subcommittees and doing a load of documentation and that kind of stuff yeah gotcha Enlighten me. What is this episode's random? Do you love them just making you say that that question over and over again, episode from episode? Just leave that line in there. There's no escape. Just have to have to find different ways. This episode's random. No rule is just the word. It's, uh, let me see if there. Are... Anyway, what is this episode's random rule? Go for it. Did you know very broadly that Wikimedians can be divided into two broad categories? And I've said broad twice, really close succession. I'm aware of that. They can be called inclusionists. Or deletionists. <laughs> there are two camps eternally at war, but these two star-crossed lovers can unite them both. <clears throat> I did. I to be honest with you, I didn't know that, but I am also quite surprised. There's only two camps. You know, I've heard a lot about Wikipedia over the the last year. Two camps seems not a lot. Well, I did say broadly, and I said broadly twice, okay. so it is very broad, and probably if we're going to be fair about it, it is a little bit more like a spectrum. And mm-hmm. while some editors will sit at the two poles of this, at the extremities, most editors probably float around in the middle, not thinking okay. about it too much. So which of these two houses in Fair Verona do you align with? And I, okay, I've known you a while. I think I'm, I can think I can make a fair guess at it. Oh, go on, sir. What do you think? In- inclusionist. Yes. I am a declared member of the Association of Inclusionists in that I have that little user box on my user page. So I, I pinned my colours to, to... Oh my God, there is a box. There's a box. I didn't, didn't realise. Oh, there's... Of course. There's a user box for everything. There's a user box for the fact that I have many cats. Okay. Yeah. Think of them as like, you know, early social media badges. They just love that stuff. <laughs> Live journal badges. Gotcha. Pretty much, yeah. So to be... You know, to to identify, I suppose, as an inclusionist, um, in essence, it means that if you think an article has even a hint of notability or a hint of getting better, um, that it is preferable to keep that article in whatever shape it is than to arbitrarily delete it because it may be suffering from a few issues here and there. Mm-hmm. A worthy house, I would concur. And one I would consider myself aligned to too if I ever actually got around to editing Wikipedia. Well, we can't allow you to edit now because that would just ruin the dynamic. So you are yeah, I know. condemned yeah. to non 
non-editing for now into eternity. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Grand. Yep. You can take that as kind of like your get out of jail free card. Can I get a badge? <laughs> Definitely not a Wikipedia. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think on the face of it, a lot of people, especially from outside the movement, would probably swing inclusionist because, you know, there's no limits on how big Wikipedia needs to be. Uh, you know, if somebody has gone to the effort of writing an article, why delete it? You know, these kind of questions. And while I don't think that absolutely everything should be kept, you know, all the kind of horrible SEO spinning PR bull that tends to come through articles for creation. Yes, that, you know, the, the Indiegogo campaign that was created yesterday does not require a Wikipedia article. But my main reasons for tolerating poorer quality articles and stubs in favour of deleting them is that it, these tend to give new editors places to learn and to find out how to edit Wikipedia without having to get over that huge push of creating a whole new article themselves. So it gives a lot of low hanging fruit, basically, for, for new editors okay. to get stuck into. And very obvious pathways in, rather than trying to find a weaker area in a really well-developed article. However, deletionists would worry about the overall quality of Wikipedia if you were to look across the board about how many good articles we have, how many stubs we have, that kind of thing. And how long a lot of these stubs can hang around. And just the admin and upkeep of having these poor quality pieces of material that can hang around potentially for years. Mm. Will there be a kind of a midway point whereby older stubs that haven't been improved would get culled after an X number of years? There's nothing systematic. Okay. If somebody kind of stumbles across something, what you what I tend to see is sometimes people will work their way through a category mm -hmm. and maybe look at each article in it. So say if you're looking at, I don't know, and there's ways of, of looking at stubs. So I don't know, Irish political stubs and look at all the biographies. And then you might do a load of maintenance tagging, like say if the only reference is a bare URL, you might tag that as an issue because that can you know go dead and it's link yeah. rot, that kind of thing. And then if you float across one and you go, e, you know, this person was just a local councillor for about five minutes, 20 years ago. Not Maybe notable. Tag this. Yeah, tag this for deletion okay. now. So, But it's not as if people are saying, oh, this got tagged as a stub in 2015, so now it's time to nominate it for deletion. My name is Stephanie Preisner and my podcast is called Basically. And basically, it makes complex things basic. Are you confused by health insurance? Are you confused by getting a mortgage? Are you confused about how to sort out your personal finances? Any of the things that confuse you, I can make basic for you. We've had guests like Luke O'Neill, Harry Barry, Mary Lou MacDonald, Roz Purcell and on Taoiseach, Michal Martin. It's hard for me to promote the podcast because it really is what you want me to explain. So tune in and I hope you like it. We're now going to talk to Raju about his work on the Wikimedia Board of Trustees and the relationship between journalism and Wikipedia. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Raju Narisetti. Um, I'm a first generation American immigrant, father of two lovely teenage girls. I have spent about three decades in publishing most of it on the news side. Uh, I've been um, and the so-called outside independent, which means that non-communities, non-wiki trustee of the Wikimedia Foundation for the last uh, four years now. And I live in New York City and uh, my pronouns are he, him and his. Wonderful. Thank you so much and, and welcome. So it's interesting that you framed yourself as a kind of outside wiki, but how did you, what drew you kind of into the 
into the wiki the wiki universe as it were the wikimedia projects how did you enter that orbit i mean the straight answer is that as the board looks for um independent board members and reaches out i was my background in media i've run newsrooms and i've spent a lot of time thinking about how do we engage um audiences particularly young audiences and how do we engage them with multimedia um i was told that that was one of the reasons that the board thought that i could add a value um to being a trustee and i'm a personal beneficiary of um the free flow of knowledge and information in the sense that i grew up in india i moved to the us to study um and um i make a living off information and knowledge so, and it felt like i i have not been and i'm still not a contributor in the editing sense um i've been a heavy reader uh if you will uh but i now contribute a lot of my time people may not realize but it's a it's a relatively small board of trustees and um there are times when you are very very actively involved and spending a fair amount of time uh there are other times uh, when it's less so but overall the demands on trustees are that you give a lot of time and so that's what i contribute now to wikipedia you obviously have um your three decades experience within media and, and uh newsrooms when it comes to how journalists use interact or, or report even on wikipedia what do you think is the most common misconception that is repeated about wikipedia a few rebecca actually i would start with saying that they don't write enough about wikipedia um lots of important conversations happening around the world around regulating platforms around uh, privacy around section 230 which provides them some immunity particularly out of the us and rarely do you see the journalism talk about the fact that wikipedia has existed at scale and is a good actor in most of these um situations and can contribute to the thinking and rethinking of regulation and public policy so we are often not part of that conversation so there is this um so that's to me it's less about what they say about us and it's more about we should be much more in the conversation a related thing is that there is a bit of a mythology um in media about wikipedia and it's accurate right that there is this you can't bottle the secret sauce of a volunteer community communities globally for 20 years being so effective and so good but it's easy to think of that as like that's the only thing that works and since it cannot be easily replicated and so unique that nothing else we do is relevant but the reality is when you're among the top visited sites in the world 1.6 billion uh, devices come to us every month when you're like one of the preeminent protectors of privacy of our users when you have shown for 20 years that you are actually pretty good at weeding out misinformation doesn't mean it doesn't exist but it gets weeded out much faster that we can operate at significant scale all of these are things that some of the platforms use as excuses for not doing the right thing and i often feel like hey but we do and we do it at scale and you can learn from us and tweak or apply some things clearly 
unlike us, many of them are for profit. But the lessons that we can apply, the learnings that we can provide. So I think those um, could also be um, much more written about and explained by media than they are. The other misconception is, um, or again, other uh, lack of understanding is how much value we provide to the world in breaking news situations. The number of people, when you look at the top 10 on any given day, especially when big news happens, most of the world is searching for big news on Wikipedia. So as a source of news, as a source of information, as a first responder almost, I think that's, uh, I don't think it's appreciated um, enough as well. So I think those are four or five areas of like where we could be much more in the conversation, you know, much more um, smarter ways than people generally frame us. That's interesting. I mean, so it's it's really fundamentally, I suppose, journalists being more curious and perhaps more engaged with those behind Wikipedia or perhaps more curious about how Wikipedia and the Wikipedia projects function. Right. And as you know, um, we don't make it very easy because we, we appear and we are sometimes very complex. But the reality is that the complexity is actually in the simplicity of the thing, right? When everybody can edit, you have to have like systems and some people call it bureaucracy or some guidelines in place and a lot of checks and balances, but it can be intimidating. So I think journalists can sometimes gravitate towards the easy bits, right? They, they, the number of stories every day you read, um, and as a board member, I get like an update on all the mentions. A majority of them are honestly about some deliberate act of vandalism that was photoshopped and then that becomes a story saying Wikipedia says this and ha ha ha, or it's wrong, or how dare they? And those translate into stories. But that's such a tiny, tiny corner of Wikipedia. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I think a lot of people don't realize that definitely on the most traffic, most critical pages, but generally speaking, acts of vandalism don't last for more than five minutes on average. I mean, you know, on some page that nobody goes to, that is that it could stay there for a while. But eventually, these are discovered or flagged, and these are almost always fixed. So I think over-indexing the daily somebody's birthday, somebody's you know, nickname, it tends to kind of get a little bit like clickbait journalism about us sometimes. And then there are other more profound issues that get a lot of attention around gender and other diversity, for example. And I'm happy to talk a little bit about that as well. Well, I think that's interesting when you're talking about, I suppose, vandalism, but also perhaps sometimes the the perceived bias. Um, the perceived bias in Wikipedia is perhaps being seen as liberal or or left left leaning, and that's an interesting, uh, I suppose, take that what we're seeing is kind of those fake news or perhaps more overly right wing news outlets frame Wikipedia as perhaps a, an enemy of some description. Um, but I suppose what might be interesting to hear about is some of the ways in which Wikipedians or Wikipedia is adapting to this kind of new media landscape that we have and its goal of, of maintaining its neutrality. Yeah, and it's a, it's a rapidly evolving landscape and what news brand that seemed relatively neutral or fact-based can evolve really quickly, as we have seen, particularly in the US context uh, with all of the fake news and the overtly right-wing news outlets. You're also seeing it in other instances where when either 
directly or government-backed entities end up owning most of the media, our traditional definition of this is a mainstream media, which is the largest circulation. So by default, it's relatively accurate. We have to start thinking about what that. What does that mean? What does that mean when a ninety percent of a country's media is owned by the government or its its political parties? So I think there are those kind of questions which are constantly um, coming up, and it's a fluid situation, right? It's not an easy answer. But in general, I would say that um, the volunteers have created strong criteria for what counts as reliable source on Wikipedia. The criteria may not have changed as much as some people actually would want, but the level of scrutiny that is required to access the sources has definitely like gone up, significantly gone up in the last, I would say, decade and in the second half of the last decade. I mean, volunteers do evaluate whether a source has a track record of fact-checking and or publishing corrections. I mean, everybody makes mistakes, so are they correcting it? For example, to determine whether it's a reliable source. And when in doubt, a lot of volunteers don't use it. In some cases, uh, volunteers have also decided not to use specific sources in any articles on any given language Wikipedia, precisely because it doesn't have a reputation for publishing accurate information. The foundation um, continues to explore ways to better partner with volunteers to really proactively address threats around disinformation. So the foundation had set up a kind of a structured approach to addressing disinformation threats in the lead up to the 2020 US election, for example, where the foundation partnered with a lot of volunteers to set up a task force and improve and refine its ability to respond to attacks. So it's a it's an area that is getting attention and resources, uh, but at the end of the day, it's the volunteers who contribute to the uh, Wikipedias who create lists, enforce it, make decisions. And um, there are times when there's vigorous debate about it. Definitely. And I have, I have witnessed one or two of those, those debates. And it's always interesting. I, you know, what's often said about Wikipedia, you know, when there's one of these headlines about, you know, a gap be it a gender gap or diversity gap, that I, I think it's been said that Wikipedia is kind of, I suppose, a mirror to the world because it, it reflects back those biases that are in all of those reliable sources that we've been talking about. And what, what's interesting is that Wikipedians would often say it's the lack of coverage of particular topics by press outlets that lead to gaps and being able to then have this information on, on Wikipedia. Is there something that journalists or press outlets can do to, to help Wikipedia in this challenge. Yeah, and just to, I, I want to just pick up on this, just complete a thought on the, the content guidelines around reliable sources, right? Which we actually maintain um, those guidelines. They are very public. The lists are very public. So that is one of the strengths of our um, communities and our movement, which is like these debates may be prolonged and lots of back and forth and heated sometimes, but it's all very transparent. So, and anybody can contribute to it and make a meaningful citation-based, uh, fact-based push to kind of say our the volunteers' view of this is actually either wrong or could be different. So I think that's a great strength because a lot of newsrooms, as you know, one of the challenges in news media and trust has been a lot of decisions in newsrooms get made in a way that audiences don't understand why. News organizations are getting better at it in explaining the process of how they arrived at something. But it's still a bunch of editors going into a room, uh, coming out 
uh, of it and then deciding what will be on the front page tomorrow, right? If it's in print, but not explaining why this over that or why we. So I think we are in that way significantly better. Just coming back to this issue of like um, lack of content, right? I mean, one of the one of the areas where I think we have to say mea culpa is around gender. There is little doubt that there isn't enough content. There aren't enough profiles. There aren't enough pages of women, for example, uh, on Wikipedia relative to men. I think we we could, if you choose to, put the entire blame on the lack of materials that we can refer to. And there is some truth to it, right? Over five, 600 years of since the Gutenberg press, the volume of things that are printed on men versus the volume of things that are printed on women are disproportionately skewed towards men. And we will reflect some of that, meaning that we cannot on our own ever get to gender parity because if there are not enough articles to cite, since we don't create original content, that will always be a gap. But having said so, and you know this very well with your work um, with um, women in red, there are still tens of thousands of women that we actually have a running list where we don't have enough volunteers, we don't have enough capacity to get to them uh, and to create Wikipedia content on them. So, So clearly, we should be doing a lot more on that front. And we are doing, but progress feels sometimes slow. And things that are being done by some big media companies starting to realize that they themselves have not been um, diverse or they themselves have skewed for men versus women. For example, the B- a couple of examples that you know of, um, you know, the B- BBC uh, projects, um, the New York Times obituaries project uh, have all um, started to kind of focus on this issue. But I must say, um, I mean, let's talk about the New York Times obits project. I love what they're doing, long overdue, and I'm glad they're doing it. But a majority of the obits they have written about women that that they say are now no longer forgotten are women who've had Wikipedia profiles. And I'm like, these are not women who've been forgotten at, at all. These have been women who have been overlooked by the New York Times. And I'm glad you are overcoming that. But wouldn't it be wonderful if some or many or all of these are women that nobody has written about because then you're adding to the body of knowledge. Then it translates into a Wikipedia and lots of other places. So I do sometimes feel like when people take a lot of pride in discovering a outstanding woman, I'm like, you know, you could have started at Wikipedia and found a lot about her. And I see this, but again, I'm not like, I'm not, at all kind of diminishing the value of that because over time this will add and every time somebody writes a new obit about somebody who's been long dead there is new material for us to point to um we also should be doing more um and the foundation we are a lucky foundation in the sense millions of people on average give us 15 dollars a year and make sure that the wikipedia's the communities and all are generally thriving and we are lucky and thankful, which also means that we are in a position to actively fund proposals to increase um, the volume of um, information on women or other underrepresented communities. So when I see things like, for example, I'm a relatively heavy Twitter user, there are lots of groups, right? Women photographers, women artists, 
I and they often like I see them like point to some person that from the 30s and the 40s and I think there are ways then we at the foundation should also be kind of partnering with these groups to say please you know we can help you kind of create more content which then creates a kind of virtual cycle of like being able to put more of it when I mean, we obviously don't want to get into like paid editing and all of those in because those has a those have a lot of negative connotations but when it comes to encouraging and funding the creation of knowledge we should very much be more active than we are and that's why i i always start off when people complain about there are only even that number is not particularly clear there are only let's say let's pick 18% of the profiles of our women i start off by saying absolutely mia kalpa guilty try to explain the larger context of the lack of enough information on them and then still come back to the fact that we can point you to a page where there are thousands of women that you could be helping us by creating knowledge so i think there's work to be done sometimes the prism tends to be that wikipedia is at fault and my answer to that is yes but help us be less at fault I like that interview a lot. Um I liked how he was talking about how symbiotic the relationship is be- between the media and Wikipedia and you know how that can play off each yeah. other. Yeah. And and to think about strategies that both communities can undertake yeah. to generally elevate information available and how information is shared and um perhaps when resources can be published openly so mm-hmm. i mean we didn't touch upon it much but the idea of perhaps you know how important it can be if the odd press um image so you know photojournalistic image is released under an open license how um how important that can be for representation yeah. that kind of thing um but i think just generally uh, increasing awareness of of and educating on both sides about how different systems work mm-hmm. and i found it really interesting talking about a more transparent newsroom because i hadn't really thought about that uh like making journalism a more transparent process because yeah. you kind of get hints of it sometimes when people are like you know i've seen people who've written pieces for say a newspaper and they're like that's not the headline that i pitched yeah. or that's not the quote that i would have highlighted that puts just you know that spin on it that kind of leaves you a little bit cold or you know is trying to elicit a particular reaction and thinking about the transparency and um how you could lend I suppose or borrow some of the things from from Wikipedia around how do you actually consider language and and consider the lens through which um certain things are being portrayed you know aside from all of the fake news yeah yeah stuff which is fairly ubiquitous when it comes to discussions around uh, journalism these yes. days and if you want to hear the full extended interview you can uh, support us on headstuffplus.com and give us your money essentially we want your money um it helps us uh, produce the show uh, it helps me buy well i bought a shiny uh, microphone a few months back uh, so that is why the quality is the way it is um i also it helps was support the editing the all of that kind of stuff it supports the community the headstuff podcast community there's a lot of other podcasts on there you can go there you can it's 5 euro a month plus fat so i'm not sure entirely what the i can never remember how much i pay per month but anyway it's it's 5 euro a month plus fat and uh you can choose up to 3 podcasts to support obviously you want to choose us um and then two others uh whichever of the other two that you want or you could just give all of your 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 money to us we would really appreciate that uh cuz we live in a society that requires you have seagulls or do i have seagulls i have seagulls i live in town 
There's seagulls everywhere. I was on my pitch there. I was on my pitch for head stuff. Sorry. Like I'm doing my best. Sorry. And it was seagulls with seagulls. They they felt very strongly about it. They, they did. The seagulls want you to support us. Uh, and there. So that's it. So uh yeah, and the broader head stuff podcast community, because you know, it's good to have a group of of creators based in Ireland producing shows for the community in Ireland and the rest of the world. Um, because we are a powerhouse of creativity in this country. Uh, so Go give us your five euro a month plus VAT bargain. It is just it is just the price of one of those obnoxiously large coffees that you might have treated yourself to occasionally, maybe with a bun, I don't know, Ooh, a or bun. a muffin <gasps> for our, our international audiences. Um, current bun. A current bun. A nice big bun. <laughs> a nice current bun. Uh, or, yeah. you know, a cheap paperback. Wage. You know, it's 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 that kind of price that we're talking a about. Very cheap paperback. Well, no, six ninety nine would be a, probably a cheap paperback. So, yeah, yeah. You're heading into chapters. You go to chapters. Exactly. <laughs> For anybody who doesn't live in Dublin or has never been to Dublin, chapters chapters is like, oh, chapters is heaven. Oh, the first time I walked into their store on Parnell Street when they moved from the the one on uh, Abbey Street, it was like my jaw dropped. And yeah, love that shop. It's a bookshop. It's heaven. It's the best bookshop. Uh, also, other bookshops are available. Um, <laughs> just so you know. I like the Gutter Bookshop. <laughs> Chapters are not, not affiliated or have supported <laughs> this, this podcast. I mean, they've they've supported my bookshelves, but you know, or they filled my bookshelves. But yeah. <sighs> sorry. Anyway, so back to headstuffpodcast.com. Uh, we will we'll have a link to it in our show notes. Uh, please support us, and you'll get uh, extended interviews and and. We're about to produce some extra exciting content of us just rambling like we have just now about seagulls and whatnot. You want you want that stuff. It's good. If you want to hear more, let's just say it's going to be more banter about yeah. some of the stranger, even more niche elements of the Wikimedia community that aren't quite an episode, you know, all by themselves, but definitely warrant a little bit of back and forth uh, between the two of us. That's what we're going to be producing over the next few months for our bonus feed. Who is this episode's hero? The amazing community behind Dagbani Wikipedia, which has now officially gone live. Ooh, throwback to a previous episode. Feel the skill in that throwback. Going right the way back there. Uh, yes, we have spoken about uh, the fantastic work being done in Ghana over the over the last year on specifically Dagbani uh, Wikipedia, which on the 1st of July 2021 officially moved out of the incubator and became the third Ghanaian language to have a live Wikipedia. Awesome. How did it move from the incubator to a full-grown Wikipedia? What what are the terms? Is like a, a, a like a like an infant Wikipedia and then a full grow. Anyway, how how does it move? How does it go? How does it grow? How does a Wikipedia grow? Basically, a Wikipedia, when somebody proposes a new language Wikipedia should exist, it is created an incubator. And this is to ensure that uh, it reaches a sufficient size to be a viable uh, Wikipedia and that there's a community behind it. Um, so once it, it's in incubator and it reaches a particular size and appears to have this healthy community behind it, it will be published as a fully fledged Wikipedia out there on the big wide web with its fellow 300 plus language Wikipedias. In this case, Dagbani cur- currently has 200 articles when it went live. Uh, now it's published. Articles can be linked 
through Wikidata to other language Wikipedias. And it means that it will appear as a link uh, alongside all other language versions of an article on the left-hand side of an article page where that art, where that language version exists. Wow. I am delighted for them. I'm delighted that they got out of the incubator and are now kind of like out in the wide world. Do you know how many baby Wikipedias can exist in the incubator? Or is it a kind of like... How, how long is a piece of string? Yeah, and there's no, I don't think there's any limit on how many can be uh, in incubator. There might be limits on, okay, if, if you yeah. create one and there's nothing happening with it, then there might be, you know, a grace period and say, okay, if it doesn't grow, then it, it gets retired. Um, but I don't think there's any hard and fast rules about that, to be honest. Uh, it's basically a safe space in which a community can think about some of the rules and methods their language wiki, wiki wants to use uh, and, you know, to employ them there without having to be on kind of the wider the wider web or the wider wiki community so they might feel you know kind of less constrained while they figure some of these things out because they're kind of in this in this space and in the past wikipedia's might have wanted to stay for the absolute minimum amount of time in their incubator but i think that attitude has changed um over time and now it, they're very much encouraged to use that period um, to ensure that there is this healthy and resilient community there before they go live and to consider some of the things around, you know, what's their barrier for notability and how do they want the front page to look? And, you know, a lot of the options have changed over that. You know, it's not the same cookie cutter. You know, English language doesn't dictate how other, all other language Wikipedia is. So there's a little more latitude to think about how exactly your community is going to work within the, okay. the wiki sphere. And how it can flourish all on its own. Precisely. Yeah, I'm, it's very good news. It is. I, it makes me very happy. Yeah, I we I saw one of the main contributors uh, take part in an Arctic Knot uh, panel, kind of talking about how mm. you kind of guard, how you care for your community, basically to make sure people don't burn out and, and you know to kind of keep momentum going. And I think some of his um, some of his reflections on that were really interesting. So it was um, one of the members from there, and then uh, Sarah, who we've talked to previously from um, yeah. Scots, so kind of reflecting on care for your community which was wonderful oh, very good well, that was the world according to wikipedia join us again in two weeks you can subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice follow us on twitter at world underscore wikipedia thanks to patricia o'flaherty for our artwork and headstuff for production assistance go to headstuffpodcast.com for show notes and more information and to support the Headstuff Plus network. But you might be part of a small percentage. Percentage? A, a small pretendage of people. <laughs> pretendage. A pretendage. A pretendage of people. A group of, <laughs> a group of improvisers. They pretend. Uh, yeah. A pretendage. A yeah. Pretendage. They live in a pretendage. Yeah. It's like a commune. But the yes and. Uh, um. Oh dear. Right. Interesting. But you might be part of a small pretend. <laughs> Presentage. <laughs> you might be part of a small group of people. <laughs> This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. 
a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. We're dancing. We dance. Uh, dance. I'm a kitty cat. And I dance, 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 dance. I do love that Ham looks like that cat. That cat must be so long dead. <laughs> We are old. We have old internet memes. 